are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We've got Kim here alongside Todd and Aaron. We've got a uh, full house because the Day Screw Roundtable is coming up next hour. I know a lot of you look forward to that each week. We've also got Feedback Friday coming up in hour number three. Mike Woody will take us to the movies here at the bottom of the hour. But until then, uh, here's how you can let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to begin with a, uh, a column that uh, I, I pinned earlier today to our Facebook wall. It is written by Nancy French, who is David French's wife, uh, David French from National Review. And uh, just to give you a little bit of her background, she's written four New York Times bestselling books alongside people like Sarah Palin, uh, current Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, who's become a bit of a Fox News sensation in this election, uh, Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson from right here in our backyard. So this is not a nobody. Now, when you've heard me talk about my fear about this election... Is that we are is that we are compromising our witness in te- internally? We are doing damage to our integrity as as a church, as a movement internally. What does that look like? Well, does it mean voting for Trump is bad? If I if I thought Trump was an immoral vote, I would say so. I I don't know why so many of you think I have said this when I have not. It's because you want me to. I think I, I can't morally justify voting for Trump. I just can't get there. But I, I can see why some would, and I could make a case that I, I've got to. You know, the other woman is targeting my belief system, so I'm going to vote for the person most likely to defeat her. Okay. It's not the issue of voting for Trump. It's elevating him. It's adoring him. It's whitewashing him. It's apologizing for him. Nancy French has a piece today in the Washington Post with the headline, What It's Like to Experience the 2016 Election as Both a Conservative and a Sex Abuse Survivor. It begins, Should we pick him up? The preacher pointed to the side of the road to a hitchhiker. No, I shrieked, but the idea was intoxicating. I'd lived in a one-festival town my whole life, pulling over seemed like the kind of careless, wild action that could possibly blow up the roteness of small-town life. I don't know, maybe. Maybe we should. I was disappointed when the preacher laughed and sped up. Nothing ever happens here, I thought. The most exciting thing that had happened to me was that morning's vacation Bible school. All Kool-Aid and butter cookies with holes in the center we wore as rings on our pinkies. The preacher offered to take me home when my mother needed to run errands. I was honored to be in his car, giggling as we sped by the hitchhiker. This preacher was younger than most and wore cool glasses. I tried to match his gregarious spirit. I should have said yes to the hitchhiker, I thought. That's what cooler, older people would have done. After winding down the long gravel road to my house, the preacher walked me in. I was too young to have rules for boys in the house, but this wasn't a boy. Here's the living room and here's the sitting room, I said, flipping on some lights. There was a blue and white love seat up against the wall in the room that my grandmother had used as a bedroom before she died. She'd once been alive, but now was dead. It felt odd to just repurpose her room into a TV room without acknowledging that a person had so recently dwelled there. I was thinking of her when the preacher's thin mouth pressed against mine. His wiry tongue stuck down my throat. 
He pulled me down onto the love seat and ran his hands over my budding breasts. Though I'd failed the hitchhiker's test, I had another chance to prove I was cool enough to deserve attention. He offered me rides frequently over the next year. He came to the house ostensibly to talk to my parents, but lingered afterwards. My parents didn't suspect he was shoving his hands up my shirt on the porch. It confused me to hear the values preached from the pulpit, but ignored in real life. At church, he talked of how sexual immorality might send you to hell. Was he lying about the hell part or simply willing to let me go there? Regardless, we were in love, or at least we did the type of things that people in love did. I only knew about this phenomenon from movies, so I operated from the well-worn Hollywood script. He didn't do anything wrong. You caused this. You enjoyed it. You deserved it, I thought. These whispers have bounced around in my head for the better part of three decades. In fact, for an embarrassing long amount of time, I told myself I simply had a relationship with my preacher. I didn't know what the word pedophilia meant. Sexual abuse robbed me of my ability to feel the right things at the right times. It awakened me to things I shouldn't have known. My home, which should have been a place of comfort, became a place of abuse. Shame lodged into my soul like a gigantic, immovable beam. Everything else about me, my outgoing personality, my tenuous spirituality, my suicidal thoughts settled in around it, molded themselves around it until I was unrecognizable from the girl with a, with, with a butter cookie ring. Some found out about the, the abuse several years later, but nothing changed. The preacher was too valuable to confront. As far as I know, no one ever mentioned it. He preached with a straight face and lost interest in me when my breasts fully developed. As soon as I got old enough to leave the house, I quit Christianity, painted my nails black, became a liberal, and picked up a cigarette habit. He didn't do anything wrong. You caused this. You enjoyed it. You deserved it, I thought. These words in my head bounced around, and I'd never been able to catch them to properly evaluate their veracity. I emerged from my goth phase by listening to every syllable Rush Limbaugh uttered. He'd say controversial things about women, like I'm all for the women's movement, especially if I'm walking behind them. But the allegations against the Republican Party's sexism were certainly overblown. At least that's what they told me. Democrats always seem to have a high tolerance for the abuse of women. They even looked the other way when Ted Kennedy left a woman to die. I rejected their misogyny cloaked in feminism and embraced economic opportunities for women, family values, feminine dignity, and motherhood. I scraped my way back to the church, too. But then 2016... The first female president possible will have ridden the coattails of her husband, who has also been accused of rape, to the Oval Office. The GOP nominee, likes younger women, used to hang out with a known pedophile and bragged on video about doing to women what the preacher did to me so many years ago. When the Trump videotapes broke, I watched the news and Twitter feeds of prominent evangelicals to see justice be done. But what I saw was all too familiar and yet somehow still shocking. This is how men talk, one said. Let him who is not sin cast the first stone, said another, who used to focus on the family and had never uttered the phrase to refer to any Democrat who ever walked the face of this earth. It's hard to describe the effect 2016 has had on sex abuse survivors. I believe the men in my party when they shrugged off the, cons the constant liberal accusations of being anti-woman. But Pope John Paul II's words ring true. Christ assigns the dignity of every woman as a task to every man. If that's right, the men in my party, in my church, in my life have failed. They have asked me to participate in overlooking the offense. Instead of those words, he didn't do anything wrong. You caused this. You enjoyed it. You deserved it. Bouncing around my head, they are bouncing around my Facebook feed, off the lips of my friends, from the screens of my phone and laptop. They are directed toward Bill Clinton's and Donald Trump's accusers. Republicans who have lamented the Clintonian proclivity to malign women are now defending the same activities because, well, they idolize power or their own strategic cleverness. Trump, like the preacher, is too important to abandon. We have become what we said we despised.
I realize now, only after all these years, it's all been a facade. The religious right, which I've defended my whole life, abandoned the posture of family values when they had the chance to gain a seat at the table. Here's the truth. The GOP was once alive, but now is dead. It confuses me to hear the values preached from the, po- from the podium, but ignored in real life. It feels odd to just repurpose a political party into an extension of the Trump empire without acknowledging the values which had so recently dwelled there. My party, which should have been a place of, certain set of a certain set of values, now shelters an abuser. I'm thinking of this when the GOP presses against me and asks me to close my eyes just one more time. And that is from Nancy French, today's Washington Post, the wife of David French from National Review, who has written New York Times bestselling books with Sarah Palin, Sheriff David Clark, and others. Your thoughts on that? The imagery of that last line alone, it it is brilliant writing, and it, it paints the reality of what we are being asked to, what we've been asked to do for... A long time. Yeah, a long time. I... Put a number on it. It's different for uh, all people. But we've been asked to shut our eyes and just go with it. Uh, and implied in all that is a lesser of two evils. Forever we've been involved in that scam, which is the very antithesis of the gospel. Uh, Nancy French has done us all a very uh, good service. I don't know who could possibly do better in bringing to summation this entire scam. And may we, as a church have the courage to go forward and blow up this paradigm once and for all starting November 9th. Tim, what do you think? Like Todd said, it was very well written, um, especially, you know, the last line that you said, the, I'm thinking of this when the GOP presses against me and asks me to close my eyes just one more time. And I, and I also want to give a shout out to Nancy that she is being very brave and I'm grateful that she's willing to write this and to expose the ugliness that we all are seeing now. I agree with uh, everything that's been um, said to this point. Completely agree that she's she's being very brave as well. But just the absolute amount of shame that some people should feel, that some people should express that they don't express that they don't obviously don't feel right now is just it's breathtaking we'll have more to say about this here in a moment you're listening to steve dace of the battles he refused to fight. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. I want to bring another angle into this conversation we were just having about Nancy French's piece because I want to take a broader view of this topic. Uh, Last night after I got home, an individual named Lee Carpenter, who listens to the show, sent me a note on Facebook. And um, said, Steve, I want to know your opinion about, you know, you've, you've been asking, what is the biblical case for voting for Donald Trump? And I have all the same reservations you do. I want to know your opinion of using these verses as justification. And he quotes from 1 Timothy 2, the first two verses. 
Paul writes to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he says, do you see these verses as a theological reason to vote for Trump in order to protect religious freedom? Meaning it will cause, it'll cause um, division within the culture to see the church under consistent attack. My initial inclination when I saw this at midnight last night uh, during the commercial break of, uh, of uh, watching Survivor on DVR with my wife is, um, first of all, I appreciated his level of discernment trying to actually see if an affirmative case was possible. I understand the inclination to think that um, we have enough division in our culture. Hillary Clinton will bring enmity between government and the church. I think there's little doubt about that, and it already exists anyway. See Hobby Lobby, see Kim Davis, see Baronel Stutzman. Uh, I mean, just go on, you know, see Sweet Cakes by Melissa. Just go on down the line. Um, but earlier today, I, I sent him a follow-up note after I had some time to think about this, and especially after I read Nancy French's piece. And the question I asked him on second thought, does voting for a moral reprobate project godliness and holiness in our lives? Does it project that? I mean, the, the peaceful and quiet that Paul is describing, keep in mind, Paul is spreading a gospel from a Savior who says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. It is not blessed are the peace lovers, but blessed are the peacemakers. And often it requires conflict in order to make the peace. What Paul is writing is that there's no, is that, that the church is, what Paul, I believe, is saying here, ladies and gentlemen, is that the church's mission in this world will be tough enough without creating undue enmity between it and the culture around it, undue enmity between it and the governmental authorities around it. I don't believe that he is saying to compromise the church's witness for those governmental authorities, right? Meaning that um, pick your battles. If, if, if this is the same Paul, by the way, who is beheaded for not doing as Caesar commanded. Now, was Paul beheaded because when Caesar commanded him to pay taxes, he refused? Is that why Paul was beheaded? No. Paul was beheaded because Caesar demanded to worship me as Lord, and Paul refused. That's why he was beheaded. You see my point? That, that there are times and places for, we, for the church to stand up and say, um, we can't live peacefully and quietly when you are asking us to do that which is in defiance of God's will or God's word. You guys, you think I'm on solid theological ground here? Right. Yes. So. Okay, so I appreciate this inclination. And 24 hours ago, I, I probably had a more positive view of it at initial, at first blush, until I read this piece from Nancy French this morning that rocked my world, and I posted on a Facebook right away. Again, I, I, I think it's morally justifiable to say this, is a, this man's a knuckle-dragger at best, but he hasn't declared war on my belief system like Hillary Clinton has. And you'll notice that Nancy French doesn't condemn that that thought process even in her column she doesn't condemn that what is she condemning the same thing we've been talking about for months how come james dobson can't just say this election is not an ideal choice but but the democrats aren't running kennedy they're not, they're not running lbj heck they're not even running jimmy carter they're not even running Michael Dukakis. They're running somebody who has let it be known and declared out in the open, I'm for ripping babies limb from limb from the, at, from, at the, at, up until the moment they're going to be delivered, and we're going to use government to do whatever we can to make the church's life, church's life a living hell in America. 
And sometimes when you're in the midst of a conflict, you don't get to choose um, the most fine, upstanding individuals to be your generals. What's wrong with making that case? Why do we have to distort, lie, bastardize the Bible, elevate him, adore him? See, one is idolatry and the other is simply just trying to make a gut wrenching best call I can judgment call I can make in a fallen world and and you can hear in in her in her voice when and may, you guys tell me if you agree or disagree with this but you can hear in her voice when she's reading when, when she's writing this that is her lament her lament that that we're going to lie cover for um that's that's because you know we want a seat at the table that's the part that bothers her the most. What are you guys? What's you guys' take on that? Well, yeah, you can tell she feels threatened. Yes, right. she feels and, violated and, and not valued, and um, losing her mooring. I thought the Republican Party was about values. I thought you cared about women, and yet you're covering for them just for a seat at the table. One of one of the uh, parts of that story uh, and that piece that you wrote uh, wrote or. Uh, read from uh, Nancy French was, um, I, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember the exact words, but uh, one of the, the, the most basic duties of men is to protect the dignity. Yeah, she's quoting from Pope John Paul II's of women. writings on, on, the, on the distinctions of gender. What's the name of the exact? Theology, Theology of, of the body. body. Theology of the body, thank you. Go ahead, Aaron. That's, yeah, that's fine. Um, that that is that is that makes me feel a lot of shame. Even though I don't, um, I don't take the same track of trying to apologize for Donald Trump, but just um, the, the the one job you have to do, one of the most simple, basic things that you have to do, uh, if you want to call yourself or you want to be a man, and collectively, this party, whatever was left of this movement, has failed at doing its job, just at a human level. I. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, I got a comment when I posted Nancy's column today. Uh, some of you, we've had, we have so many new listeners because we rebooted this show in November with the Salem Radio Network and we're on uh, so many more markets than we were ever on before. So you may not know uh, the name Jen Green, but uh, she was uh, one of our very first co-hosts when we launched this show uh, five years ago uh, in its infancy. And the, the comment that she has up on uh, my Facebook wall today uh, in response to this piece. And having known Jen for years, she's a political animal, man. She loves it. Okay? And she just talks about how ashamed she has been of the church and of her party and of her conservative movement that she just can't even watch it. She can't partake in it, can't participate in it. And just the watching of people twisting the scriptures and everything else, she just can't, she just, as my teenage daughter likes to say, she can't even. And I wonder how many people feel that way. And I wonder what the long-term fallout for that is going to be. Because I think that is something that people haven't truly considered. It's one thing to lose your brand. Most enterprises don't recover from that. But it's another to lose your soul. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
following the truth, no matter where it leads. The Steve Day Show. And we're back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Mike Woody is here to take us to the movies. Mike, how are you, man? It's been a couple of weeks. What's been uh, the latest with you? Are you in mourning? This is this is something you're not used to now. I mean, I know you went 50 years of your life without your team winning a World Series, but I know that this is a, a biennial tradition unlike any other for you San Francisco Giants fans, even yeared World Series titles, but it's alas, it's not to be this time around. You know, we could have used you in the bullpen that night. That's how bad it was. And you know what? If we would have won that game and, I'm and probably, gone back I'm to probably Chicago, clocking about a 62-mile-an-hour fastball, all right? So that's how bad it was. In your dreams. You don't think I could throw it 60 no, miles an I hour? No, I do not. I'm pretty sure I could throw no, it 60 No, I don't think you could hour. break 50. You don't think so? No. That's I, hard. I know it's hard. Listen, man, remember we did that batting practice many years ago with the Iowa I, Cubs? No, because I, I didn't get invited, Okay, and I'm still ticked about it. And you it. told me there was no shot, and I was, a, I was at least 100 bills bigger then than I, was, than I am now. Dude, I took Jerry Royce to the warning track and the guy in, in batting practice. Granted, I closed my eyes, swung, and that's what happened. And I put all my weight behind it. So I don't want to pretend like it was any kind of skill. He was like, one out of 12 like pitches. You know what's funny is Jerry, Jerry... So it was luck or prayer or both? Yes, is the answer. Yes. What was funny is Jerry Royce, who for many years was a really good journeyman Major League Baseball pitcher for a lot, several clubs, right? And he was the Iowa Cubs pitching coach that season. It's when we had Mark Pryor here down on the farm. Remember those yep, days? I do. And Jerry Royce was like my buddy. He'd come on the show there from, from the Iowa Cubs stadium I was doing all the time. When I got lucky and hit that shot, that well, and it might have been just outside the warning track. I want truth in advertising. Okay, there right? we go. So it was more like up against the wall, but maybe it was more like a step away from the warning tra- track, but close enough, if you yeah. know what I'm saying. When I hit that lucky shot... The dude seriously never spoke to me again. The rest of the season didn't come on our show. The rest of the season, it was like it was like he it's like he walked. I am ashamed. I, I mean, it was I think just, he's now bartending at some sleazy bar downtown. <laughs> you crushed this poor man. All because destroy- of that. Yeah, I am the destroyer of dreams. That's what wow. I do. Wow. All right, so it's been a couple weeks. So we should we should have several movies we got to talk about. No, because right? we we got we got all of those taken care of. We got two movies to talk about today. What did we get taken two. care of? Remind me. What did we already do? Oh, seriously, I don't. We did Girl on the Train. I remember we, we, we talked about that. You said train. it wasn't as good. Wasn't that good? Yeah, we I, we did, I don't have all those notes with me. I don't know what we talked about. Hang on. I, mean, I don't know why we would expect you to be prepared to come on here and do a nationally syndicated radio show. Do you remember what I talked about three weeks ago? No, I. If you don't have a clue? You, is, is, your, your memory's that far Steve, gone? You can't even remember? I don't even know what I had for breakfast. Oatmeal. No. <laughs> he looks like... So you do remember. Bagels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about this week? All right, we're talking about The Accountant with Ben Affleck. You, re, you remember Ben? Yeah, Batman. Batman. I thought he, okay. and I thought he was great. If you took Jason Bourne... And crossed him with Rain Man. You've got the accountant. You have got a highly functioning autistic uh, with the Asperger's syndrome, who is a forensic accountant. So if you are a corporate giant and somebody is stealing from you, or if you are a mafia mob boss, or if you are a sheik in wherever, and somebody is stealing from you, this guy will come in. Much like Rain Man would have, and he will do everything in his power to find who did it, and he will not stop until he's done. He has no social skills at all, and he also 
is very adept with guns and you name it. He's got it. And he carries it in this little trailer. And uh, he's a bad dude. This is a very, very good movie. Very good. Very good movie. Because your fellow critics at Rotten Tomatoes have it virtually rated virtually the exact same as Girl on a Train. Look at the audience scores. The audiences love it. I walked out of the theater and people, you could just hear people talking. I'm not sure exactly if I understand what happened, but it was really good. That was the exact quote the guy that was sitting next to me said. This It seems like I've seen this movie before, it, it just with, with less violence. Wasn't it called A Beautiful Mind? I mean, aren't we essentially taking that character and saying they're now a mob or a dictator? They're, they're a fixer for megalomaniacs. Isn't that what we're essentially saying now? That's quite a stretch, but yeah. How is, how, can, how is that a stretch? that stretch? Todd, is that what he just described? Well, in Beautiful Mind, he was... Don't throw Todd in front of the bus. Well, he was actually losing his mind. This guy has... This guy is not losing his mind. Okay. And it's riveting, you say. It is riveting. Now, it's directed by a guy named Gavin O'Connor. Gavin O'Connor, I don't even remember how many years ago, directed a movie called Warrior. Oh, you remember man. Warrior? It's so good. It is a great movie. I don't even like uh, Ultimate Fighting. That yeah. movie is genius. And you tell people, oh, it's this great movie about Ultimate Fighting, and they're like, oh, there's not. How many mushroom clouds it. for the accountant? Uh, I'm going to give it four. Wow. I think, it's four. One of the, I think it's one of the better films I've seen this year. Wow. All right. Come back with more Mike Woody at the movies here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. the world may know this is Steve Dace All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Mike Woody is here taking us to the movies. So, Michael has uh, already reviewed The Accountant with Ben Affleck, which was, I think, the number one movie in the country last week, correct? It was, yes. And uh, you say it's, uh, it's, it's lived up to its advanced billing. You thought it was one of the better movies you've seen this year. And, you know, and one other point on this, it is an extremely violent film. Lots of people die. I just You need to know that. But there's not a lot of blood. And for the most, yeah, for the most part, I don't want to say they deserve to die, but he, he kills only bad people. So is, it, is this the Dexter guy you were asking me about last night, Todd? Yes. So is that sort of his role? Like that TV show Dexter where the, where the guy's a serial killer and he goes to the morgue and his dad taught him how to only, because he can't get over his need to, to kill, so his dad taught him how to only use his powers to, his uh, obsession, uh, macabre obsession to kill bad people, and that's why he went to work for the police department. He kills department serial the bad killers. People are. Yeah. Yeah, he's a serial killer. See, who, I never saw an episode. Ser- so, I have, I've never seen it either. Okay. But I hear it's really, really good. So it sounds like it's a little bit like that. Um, yeah, sure. All right, but it's a good movie. It's a very good movie. All right, what's next? All right, Mascots. Do you know who Christopher Guest is? Guest is. Is that Waiting for Guffman? Yes. Yeah, okay. Waiting for Guffman. No way. For your No way, Corky. I'm not going to put up with you people. Yes. Best in Show, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's the, he's got this group of people. Spi- this is Spinal Tap. He's got this group of people that he just periodically makes a movie. They are irreverent, sometimes raunchy, 
Um, but they're oftentimes hilarious. This one is not quite at that level. If, if you're looking for that level, it's not quite at that level. But it is a story of a mascot competition that happens every year. And so you got mascots from all over the world, and some of these are crazy, wild things you've never seen mascots do. And it's just, it's, it's this crew of people that are just hilarious. Fred Willard steals almost every one of these movies and does the same in this one. You love this uh, cast ensemble. I mean, I do. For years, everything they've done, that you know, I've been doing this segment now for going on 15 years, and everything they've done in d- during that time span, you've loved everything they've done. No, not, no. This is, this is sort of your, really. like, woe be gone, right? Not these are really. your Garrison Keelers. This is, I, these not, are your pet projects. I'm not a big waiting for Guffman guy. But I am. I just a like big, that. I just like that one. I just, I, just, I just like that one scene. That's the only part about waiting for government. I like is that one scene where he just loses it. I like that. <laughs> so this is this is good. Now this is on Netflix. Now I am finding more things on Netflix appealing to me than I am with what's opening in the movie theaters. I mean, so this is a this is a movie that Netflix commissioned themselves. It's direct to Netflix. It was not yeah, for no, theatrical release. No, it's direct release. direct to Netflix. Because I've seen they're doing more of that now. They are. I think Netflix goes to these, the Toronto Film Festival and, and all of these film festivals just like every studio does, and they bid on them. They bid on them. Amazon bids on them. Hulu bids on them. So that's why you're seeing things appear on, on these channels, sources. Are we going to have movie theaters in like 20 years? I think we will simply because of the experience of a movie theater. Yeah, not too many people can put a 70-foot screen in their home. So yeah, I think Steve we will. has tried, <laughs> but he hasn't failed. Um, but yeah, I think you will, I, because you're right. You're, the, the experience is, it's similar to um, you. Can, you can still it, it's similar to you can have you can have Sony PlayStation and those sorts of things in your home, but but you can't have a roller coaster in your home. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Right. So there's there's certain I can't have an IMAX theater unless I'm you know imagine the elite of the elite. I can't have home. an IMAX theater in my home. Imagine sitting at home and watching a new Star Wars movie. It's just for the first I time. I, I don't care I how big that, that screen I do is, that. but it's, you just you know, cell well, let's phone ask the millen- Let's ask the millennial. What's the millennial think, Aaron, on this topic? Oh, I sure hope we don't have theaters. I love sitting in my house, not having to leave. <laughs> so never mind. Forget everything. Scratch everything I just said. You guys are all screwed toast. It's, it's faster than you can say the newspaper industry. Update your resume. Right. And invest in Netflix. for help is that we've heard from him in the last couple of weeks? Let's get, we need a, an agenda for you to get out this week. Well, I hope I don't have to drive down Do the street. Do we need an I'd intervention watch, here? I'd rather watch this on my 42-inch flat screen instead. <laughs> is it black and white? <laughs> Bunny ears? Oh, mercy. Aaron's stocking up on a little Jiffy Pop at home. All you right. know it. What's new on demand? Let's let's talk right, about How many mushroom clouds for mascots, first uh, of all? I'll give it three. All right, three. How, what, three. What's new on demand? Uh, Steve, I, I know you're a big Woody Allen fan. Oh, the best. The biggest. Uh, there, was a, there was a, a movie league. called Cafe yes. Society that came out and it was a an above average Woody Allen movie. I'm not Woody Allen Which has is to been, say it's not very good. He's been more missed than hit lately. This is lately almost being 1978. A, no. No. It's okay. Uh Independence Day Resurgence, I liked. I think people went in with great expectations and were ultimately disappointed, but I you know what if it's just an action movie. I thought it was kind of fun. I my my nine year old and I went and saw it when it was out this summer. Noah thought the special effects were spectacular, and they were. 
the movie's bad. Uh, the story, but, it, but the best part of it is unintentional humor is always the best. So they, they put a female president in the movie who, who the actress, Selma Blair, openly says, or not Selma Blair, she's the, uh, no, it is Selma Blair, right? The, no, which Selma one? Ward. Selma Ward, thank you. Selma yeah. Blair somebody else. Selma Ward's the former <laughs> Miss Alabama. Yeah, Ward's thanks the, for clarifying. Selma Ward's the former Miss Alabama from back in the day, right? Something like that, okay. Who was on a TV show in the 80s, is that who I'm thinking of, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, she even said she based her portrayal on this president, on Hillary Clinton, in the hopes that it would help Hillary's candidacy. She said this when the movie came out. Do you think except, it do you think No, it did? Uh, except in the movie, she's an awful president, makes a very short-sighted decision that costs the deaths of millions of people <laughs> across the globe, including the evisceration, literally, the literal evisceration of herself and her entire administration. <laughs> Am I lying, Mike? No. That's no, funny. she does. It's just she so does. Unintentional humor is always the best. I mean, I mean, dude, you're talking about four people being left behind at Benghazi. Sheila Ward's Hillary Clinton impersonation left half a planet behind. Okay, so that would. That, this is not the political propaganda that you are looking for. What else is on demand? Uh, the latest Alice in the Looking or Alice I through the seen Looking. That yet. Is it, is it good? I haven't seen it either because it looked just too weird. I don't. I heard it was horrible, and like five people saw it. All right. Mike, we'll see you next week, my friend. All right. Jack Reacher next week. I loved the first one. Thought it was a really underrated movie. I like, Amy and I liked it a lot. You know, there's another movie called Denial with Rachel Weisz, which I'm going to go see. Where she that looks to, good, too. She has to prove there was a Holocaust. Yep, that looks good, too. All right, man. We'll see you All next right. week. See you, guys. All right. Uh, back to wrap up Hour 1 here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Your Daily Truth Project. This is Steve Dace. All right, Aaron is clearly kissing up to the boss with the Foo Fighters bumpers. But that's okay. Because any optimism that you are feeling right now is about to go away. It is time for the worst of our worst Ask not how much worse can get. Instead, you'll find out for yourself. It is this week's sign. The apocalypse is upon us. The most child-friendly segment of this show each and every week. Aaron, take it away. Oh, you know it. Uh, Thank you, Steve. You know, um, I remember high school. I was in a very small class. In fact, my class size was one because I was homeschooled. But um, were you the valedictorian? I was the valedictorian or the salutatorian. I was. You were the salutatorian of a class of a graduating class of one. Exactly. Yes, I was also the worst in my class, the best in my class, and everything in between. But the further removed, I voted least likely to succeed and most likely to succeed, and I've met all expectations. Um, The 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 further along or further far from uh, high school that I get. The more grateful that my parents uh, did indeed homeschool me. Byline is Norman, Oklahoma. There are startling accusations against a Norman teacher. A student said the premise of his lecture stated that all white people are racist. This is according to NBC's affiliate KFOR. I want to play for you 
the story that they ran. You'll hear audio of this teacher. The family is speaking out because they want you to know what took place in a Norman North classroom. We didn't show their faces and change their voices in order to protect the student's identity. You can visit them, reclaim them, and then rename them. This video caused a Norman North student to pull out her cell phone and start recording. And he pulls out this globe with a bottle of whiteout and marks over a country or a piece of a country and puts his name on it. So he was basically comparing what he had done to the globe to what we did to America. When the video was over, she says her teacher continued the conversation and lecturing on how to heal the racial divide. His theories stunned the student. To be white is to be racist. Period. To be white is to be racist. A Norman high school teacher. Of course, all of the identities have been uh, made anonymous at this point, but that's uh, white people calling other white people racist on the basis of being white is this week's sign. The apocalypse is upon us. So you're arguing that people are racist on the basis that they belong to a certain race? Do, yeah. I, do I do I have that correctly? Mm -hmm. Are they born that way? <laughs> they have a race orientation. Um, I, I'm not a um, I'm not a, a linguist, but what what do we call people who cast negative aspersions on folks strictly on the basis of their race? Is racists. Racists. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, the Dace Group Roundtable is next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. It's a Feedback Friday. You know we love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E is the last name. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. It is Friday. It is our second hour. You know what that means. With a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, this is The Dace Group, your weekly roundtable that takes a look back at the week that was. Let's begin with issue one, 17 days. We've entered the final stretch of the race for the White House. The third and final debates came and went, and it was probably the most substantive of the three though that's admittedly a low bar. If you go with what Hillary is saying in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. 
Nobody has more reason. Please, everybody. Uh, my commitment to raise taxes on the wealthy. My Social Security payroll contribution will go up, as will Donald's, assuming he can't figure out how to get out of it. Uh, but what we want to do is to replenish the Social Such a Security nasty Trust woman. Fund. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump also traded blows at the Al Smith Dinner, a fundraiser for Catholic Charities. Here she is tonight in public, pretending not to hate Catholics. People look at the Statue of Liberty and they see a proud symbol of our history as a nation of immigrants, a beacon of hope for people around the world. Donald looks at the Statue of Liberty and sees a four. Maybe a five if she loses the torch and tablet and changes her hair. But the damage to the Republican nominee has already been done as states talked about as must-haves for Trump are gone. Even states like Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina, states where Republicans typically fare well, are either tipping towards Clinton or Trump has a feeble lead. 538's election forecast gives Clinton an 86.2% chance of winning in a few weeks. They also give the Democrats a 71% chance of taking back the Senate. Let's get to the first question here. And Kim, I will start with you. Now that Trump is in open warfare with the Republican Party down the stretch, and we've sort of reached now the ridiculing stage of this can- of this campaign, could this election actually be worse for the GOP long term than even we have thought all along? I ask you. You know, I, I, that's a great question. And I think, how could it be worse? And then I get myself into trouble. I mean, you know, earlier I predicted- Do not... Attempt 2016. I know. By asking how it could be worse, could the be Republicans worse? nominated a guy who managed to go to a hundred year tradition last night, a nonpartisan pre election event at the Al Smith dinner, right, two weeks before the election, and got booed. Do ne- never. The, never the first ask. rule of 2016 is do not ask 2016 how it could get worse. How can it get worse? Um, and we have 17 days. Um, you know, Earlier, I predicted that they would lose the Senate. And actually, I look at what Trump has done for the for the Republican Party and for the rest of us. And I'm actually grateful. People are being shown for who they really are. And I think that's valuable. Yeah, it depends on whose perspective you're talking about. Exactly. From our perspective, even if we lose the Senate, I'm with Kim. I don't think so. As we've documented over and over again, what were we getting? What was our return on investment anyways? But from the establishment's perspective, oh, oh yeah, th- things could absolutely uh, be worse. You know, they, they have. I don't know if they have any sense of what's going to happen to their little country club uh, starting November 9th. Yeah, and thank you for... Hold on one second, Aaron. You bet. What, what could happen to it that you think they have not envisioned, Todd? What do you think? They, they, by, by they mean the establishment? Yes, tell me what could happen in their country club that they haven't envisioned, vision, do you think? Give it, can you give us like one or two examples of what you mean by that? Well, you know, the, yeah, as you said Dave, before, you know, there's always K Street uh, for them to fall back on privately. Uh, but publicly, if they, if, if the emperor finally has no clothes, if, if they don't have a constituents anymore that they can conveniently lie to, to get away with what they have regularly got away with. I mean, that's really how they've gotten this far. They have been able to lie comfortably. 
And if they can't do that anymore... So you're saying the genie is out of the bottle now. The, yes. The, 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 the Rubicon has been crossed. The, the system that they have insulated themselves with for, the, for most of their careers, that thing is gone. And so may, Blown up. May, I mean, we're, we're, we're even watching their, their security, Linus's security blanket, Fox News. There was a, sur- a journalism survey that came out yesterday that showed that Fox News is, uh, is, is plummeting. Uh, in, in its credibility among Republican viewers. So is that sort of in so line with what you're talking on there about? And, and the last point I was going to make from there, and it ultimately, isn't their bottom line have to be fundraising? Mm-hmm. If they can't do that anymore because their lives will not pay the bills, that's a problem. Agreed. And thank you for distinguishing uh, between uh, our perspective, what that might be, and from the establishment's perspective. Yeah, I mean, from, from my perspective, it's, it's going to be fun uh, watching this thing implode. Uh, based on what it's done to conservatives uh, for going on decades now, and uh, but from the establishment's perspective, yeah, they're they're in a tight freaking spot because one, they have their interests, whatever those may be, just go uh, you know, going along to get a lo- get along, just staying in power um, uh, for the sta- sake of staying in power. But at the same time, they've got a constituency that's done with their party. They've got another constituency that they don't want to be pinned down with the alt-right nationalist and then they've got um i think the third constituency which is you know gop hacks shills gop vote uh magic r no matter what so they're going to be torn from multiple directions and uh it's it's not going to be pretty for them i don't oh i can't wait to see how paul ryan handles it that's going to be awesome you know it was interesting uh, you mentioned since you invoked the name of paul ryan uh the the what is fascinating about this election is that the only group that that seems that that seems to uh, punish people for opposing Donald Trump in polling is the GOP base. Uh, nobody else in America seems to. In fact, everybody else in America seems to be rewarded for this. And if you look at the polling on what happened to Ted Cruz's favorabilities favorability ratings with Republicans in the week or two after he gave his vote your conscience speech, it plummeted. We were talking about that at the time, right. remember? And 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 you know how he could actually use a competitive primary against a rhino to help build his favorables back right. up. Remember we had that conversation this summer. That is what is happening to Paul Ryan as we speak. Now, there is virtually nothing in common between Paul Ryan and Ted Cruz other than the R after their name. But in terms of their approach to Washington, et cetera, I'm sure they have some common ground on issues. But from a, as politicians, they could probably not be more different. Would we agree? Agree. Stipulated. Okay. Yeah. So, so now we're watching Paul Ryan's favorables with Republicans you know, in, because of this war between him and Trump have, has imploded as well. How do we expect? What does that mean for the Republican Party going forward? How many of these people are simply just because it's our nominee, we have to support him no matter what because we have to beat the Democrats, and November 9th, everybody comes to their, or soon thereafter, people come to their senses again, or is this something more? Or maybe it's somewhere in between. I think it's a difficult thing to uh, try to reconcile because, uh, as we've mentioned before, I mean, what was it, 33% of the... um primary vote went to Trump some somewhere in the 30s uh, you know it wasn't over 50 percent and yet uh, now that we've come all of this way uh, people who speak out people from the Republican Party who speak out against Trump see their favorability tank that is a strange that is a strange uh, factoid how much of this is just we have to we have to seem united to beat the Democrats and how much of it is this guy is completely uh, is is a bulldozer. What do you think? Quickly, Todd. 
who's a bulldozer? Donald Trump? Yes. Well, he's far from being a bulldozer anymore. I, I, the, the, the Ryan thing is just about people in positions of power uh, not ever being able to do anything to get this Titanic moved around and in the right direction. They are frustrated. They are lashing out. Even if t- Paul Ryan's in that seat, even if he doesn't really have anything, hasn't any done anything wrong, they are going to lash out and they're going to blame people like him at the top of the food chain. Kim, quickly. Well, here's the thing with Paul Ryan. As you, I, I can't stand Paul Ryan, and I think he deserves this kind of backlash. I think he's being punished because we're tired of... Um, you know, losing at every step, but um, but it also has long-term ramifications, I think. All right. Uh, exit question. Post-election, will Trump start his own network or a third party or both? Kim? Network. Probably not because he's going to lose so badly. Network. I'm still leaning that way. Uh, it'll be a network, I still think, but it's going to be pay-per-view. I don't think it'll be commercial now. I think it's going to have to be pay-per-view because I think the brand has been very, very damaged. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was. Powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue two. Progressives, they are who we thought they were. Journalist James O'Keefe and his organization have released videos that allegedly show Democratic Party officials conspiring with outside groups to incite violence at political rallies and conspiring to commit voter fraud, among other abuses. Scott Fovel, the national field director for the nonprofit group Americans United for Change, explained on video that these left-wing operatives use what's called bird-dogging to plant individuals at Trump's events to start incidents and grab media attention. Vovel explains in the video that they target quote-unquote mentally ill people for recruitment to disrupt Trump events. Fovel was fired after the release of the video. Robert Creamer, another Democrat operative and a subject in the videos, also resigned after comments he made as well. These are just a few of the more incendiary comments made during the videos. It doesn't matter what the freaking legal and ethics people say. We're, we need to win this mother. Hillary like is aware of all the work that you guys do. I hope. The campaign is full of animals. And then they tell Hillary, like, what's going on. Well, I mean, Hillary knows who changed your hand. Yeah. Uh, I'm not suggesting we wait around. We need to start this right away. Well, I call this conflict engagement. <laughs> that's, that's, your, that's your version of reenfranchisement. Conflict engagement in, in the lines at Trump rallies? We're starting anarchy here, though. Things long suspected about how the left operates are becoming realized before our eyes. First question to you, Todd. What is more depressing that we have documented proof the left pays people uh, in order to uh, fix elections, incite violence at rallies, or that this proof probably will have zero impact whatsoever on the outcome November the 8th, I ask you? That's easy. It's not even close. It's the latter. As to the uh, former in terms of the left paying people to incite violence, this is the left 
historically, how, how many times have you brought up rules for radicals, Steve? You, you've, you've, you've talked, you've done whole segments on this show before Aaron and I and Kim were even around. So you've laid that out. We know who the left is. And now they are more brazen than ever, so they are going to play the form. But the fact that uh, we are just going to shrug our shoulders and uh, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton is going to have a landslide victory that she, uh, you know, I've already commented on how we know what she said about Catholics. The Catholic vote is probably going to swing in favor of Hillary. Yeah, they cheered her resoundingly. In fact, when Trump attacked her for what she said about uh, Hillary, that's what what she said about Catholics at the Al Smith dinner last night. That's what got him booed. That, so that's the most depressing thing to sit here and think. And, and can I add one thing? That, that, yeah. And Trump made those comments. Far be it for me to defend Donald Trump, okay? Because it's it's mostly indefensible. But but the the comments that Trump made about Hillary hating Catholics only came 24 hours after Cardinal Dolan demanded Hillary issue a public apology for some of the things that are in those uh, WikiLeaks emails. So it's not like so I, I know I it, I know whenever we see Trump make a provocative statement, we usually assume this is the douchery act, mm-hmm. the knuckle dragger act. But in this case, all he was doing was riffing off of right. Cardinal Dolan, who they who was sitting between Hillary Clinton right. and Donald Trump last night. Right. So I think that's some clarification that should some. Bad background on that circumstance that, that that was largely ignored in the coverage of that last night. And part of the reason Donald Trump can't get any purchase off of that is because he is so flawed himself. But unfortunately, the bigger reason is, is how broken the church is, how broken the culture is more broadly still. We, that's the biggest trick about what we do, Steve, on November 9th. Is it how do you move a people that don't want to be, be moved? moved? Well, and that is why you've heard me say on this show, I am confident that the, the prayers that get, that we have made asking God to intervene in this election have been answered. Just to be, They're not in <laughs> the way not that the maybe way you anticipated, it. because before God's people can be moved, they have to prepare, be prepared to be moved, right? And, and you know, the, the, I think the, the biblical term that Todd is looking for here is stiff-necked, uh, Kim. All right, yes. the, the way we are a stiff-necked people. I agree with Todd completely. Um, and I do think it's worse that knowing that this is not going to change anybody's mind, um, that we are seeing depravity played out writ large and everyone's fine with it. It's okay that you're going to go ahead and completely, you know, rip apart babies in the womb and, and you're okay with that. And you're buying the lies about this is women's health and you have some constitutional right to do such things. And and I mean, we, we had a debate last, or uh, we had a debate that 70 million people watched, Kim, and the right. Democratic nominee for president openly, de- openly said she was for inf- infanticide, even when it was described to openly. her, and openly said that we, she was going to raise taxes. These are things that when her husband ran, he couldn't, no way, could not have possibly, tax increases were called investment, right? We couldn't, they couldn't just yes. brazenly say these things, and now they can. I, I wonder if... If a culture that was capable of correcting the stuff in, in covered in these emails and videos it wouldn't allow this stuff to happen in the first place, you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, the fact that it's even that it's being that it's taking place is indicative of the fact we are incapable of doing anything about it. You know, and the other thing I, I look at is that they're predators. I mean, to go after mentally ill people and put them into these positions. Yep. That is heartbreaking. But but you know what, uh, Aaron, their spirit animal, uh, Margaret Sanger, said that these people really don't have much uh, value on the earth anyway. Right. Uh, the, that uh, they should have been born anyway, so just go ahead and use them for as, as chattel for whatever means necessary. Yeah, they're, they're just widgets uh, to be used or dispensed with um, whatever the, the elite and the smart people think uh, they should be used for. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I agree with both Todd and Kim. 
this is it, it is depressing. It doesn't. I mean, I, these these videos are still needed. I still appreciate what James O'Keefe is is doing, but it is just another sign of our culture. I mean, this is um, a vindication for some people on the right, whatever the heck that is, to see. Hey, you know, these these guys actually are as uh, corrupt and stupid as we have been saying that they are. Uh, but at the same time, people on the left will just circle the wagons, circle the wagons. Because there's no why, the why wouldn't why they? would why wouldn't they? Why, Aaron? Tell me why they wouldn't do this. Because uh, why, it, it, why would human nature unrestrained from a fear of God? Mm-hmm. There's only two reasons people do the right things, folks: fear of God or fear of man. Okay, mm-hmm. so if if the fear of God is removed and man is not going to hold them accountable, then tell me why they would not do the things you're talking about. Yeah, and that's I mean I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sound surprised by this, but they are you know when we they just wake be, up, we, when we, they, we essentially become Pavlovian dogs without when, those two things, right? Exactly. Well, when when people wake up on the left, when progressives wake up in the morning and they look in the mirror, um, they they see God um, because there is no fear of God, so there is no moral exactly. mooring by which to uh, hold yourself to a standard. So, yeah, why, why wouldn't they? They have no moral standard, so they just circle the wagons. Exit question. Should the right model these mobocracy tactics of the left? Kim. No. I mean, I, I like the idea of conflict engagement, but I, I don't know how you can do it and be exact. You know, you can't do what they're doing. You can't prey on the mentally ill. You can't go in there and try to incite violence. But I do think we have to do better at messaging. We have to do better at having a better standard bearer. And I do, en- you know, agree about engaging this, the other side. Todd? No, of course not. I mean, there's there's group efforts, of course, power in numbers, things like that. But the mobocracy, this is just unrestrained uh, emotionalism and id, and of course, that's not something we can be a part of. It's immoral. Aaron? I think there are tactics on the left uh, that can be uh, used uh, to advance conservative values, uh, but they obviously need to not hurt our conscience or violate our conscience. This does that. Aaron is correct. The answer is the right should use whatever tactics it can that do not undermine its message. Of course, first it has to have a message. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Issue three. This is what idolatry looks like. New data from the Public Religion Research Institute continues to paint a thoroughly disappointing picture of the church in America. According to the research, across the political spectrum, Americans today are less likely to believe personal transgressions prevent public officials from performing their duties well. Seven in ten Republicans and more than six in ten Democrats and independents say public officials can behave ethically on their professional rules, even if they acted immorally in their personal life. Notably, in 2011, only 36 percent of Republicans agreed, compared to nearly half of Democrats and independence. But no group has shifted their position more dramatically than white evangelical Protestants. More than seven in ten white evangelical Protestants say an elected official can behave ethically even if they have committed transgressions in their personal life. That's a 42-point jump from 2011 when just 30% of white evangelical Protestants said the same. 
Truly, we are witnessing a disturbing trend in the church. First question. Does this new data about evangelical voters tell us anything new? Or does it just confirm what we've already feared? Kim. Well, from my perspective, as a former representative, this confirms for me what I had seen as far as the lack of uh, knowledge and support for, um, you know, Christian principles in the state house. I mean, this is exactly what I dealt with, um, with regard to, for example, life or the issue of marriage. Um, these folk Christian organizations that really care more about having a seat at the table. I am hopeful, ever so hopeful that this is out in the open now. And these guys go down in a flame. I'm okay. Uh, Todd, your thoughts. (laughs) Well, that's what you really think. What she said. And, you know, people email me. You should have Kim on more often. She softens you guys up. She adds, you know, some feminine quality and restraint to the program. And she just ended with burn. I hope they burn (laughs) to a crisp. Go ahead, Todd. That's true. I think it tells us a little something new in terms of how the rationalizations are now more uh, conscious amongst evangelicals. Uh, I, I think we will default in a, in a lot of fearful ways to voting for people that we know they don't quite check the right boxes, uh, but we we do it because we feel afraid. But I think more and more it is actually an intellectual, and I think you see that all the time, Steve. You're facing that, you you just, I think it was yesterday on the show you were talking about uh, how people are coming to you and saying you're you're basically a heretic. Yeah, and they have no trying to find out what the the Bible Bible says. says. So I I think we we know that there are a lot more people out there whose version of be not afraid is going after people like you. Wow. There's nothing intellectual about being fear-driven. I, that drives me crazy. Well, they're explaining. That's a, the difference now is actually being brazen in how you explain your before you would you wouldn't talk about it. You right. wouldn't dare. You would just you would go in the the polling booth quietly and just do your thing. Now it's it's more outward. And I mean, I'm getting it at church. A guy in the middle of church, right in front of my kids, and I had to address a man who's 20 years my senior. Said my kids know what you're saying is a joke, and my oldest one is 12. They know what you're saying about Donald Trump is a joke, so you should stop. Right. <laughs> There is a picture on our Facebook wall that I put up there earlier today. It is a picture of the, um, uh, is it, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the invocation of the benediction at last night's Al Smith dinner. Yeah. And it's, it's Hillary Clinton it. flanked and, and Donald Trump and, and Cardinal Dolan is flanked by the two. And, and everybody in the room, including Hillary Clinton's head, is bowed except for Donald Trump, who is standing up with his eyes wide open. And we asked people to caption this photo. And I, one of the reasons I put it up there is that I, I, I was an ink plot. I wanted to get an idea of what people what people's reaction was when they saw it. Right now, sub, let's make the same exact picture, and let's substitute Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump for Barack Obama and George W. Bush. And let's say George W. Bush has his head down earnestly in prayer. And Barack Obama is standing there alone in the room looking straight up. How many of our listeners do you believe, how many of our Facebook followers, Twitter followers, would be sending me this picture, would have sent me this picture today already before I got on the air tonight, wondering, see, this is evidence Obama's a secret Muslim. You see what what I'm saying? How many many of our people would have done this? A version of this happened already. Remember the various 
bowing he did to other foreign leaders and yep. yeah, it, people went absolutely nuts. Yep. That's that's how you start losing your integrity. Right. Exit question. Will the religious right as we've known it since 1980 survive this election? Kim? No. Todd? It's dead. It's already dead, yeah. I agree. It's already dead. I mean, those those issues aren't going to go away. But for them, for that for that movement to have actual influence, it's going to need a complete, total reboot. We'll come back. More of the Dace Group in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get to issue four. A Utah surprise. It seems more people are starting to take notice of Evan McMullen. Recent polls out of the state of Utah show McMullen within the margin of error, competing with both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. One poll from Emerson College has McMullen with a six-point lead in a four-way race. Though no polls have been taken of Idaho that included McMullen, the demographic and religious similarities between that state and Utah could mean that state's in play as well. The last time a third-party candidate won electoral votes was in 1968. With the fact that McMullen got in the race late, got on the ballot in multiple states, and is now so close to actually winning a state, if 2016 was a missed opportunity for Republicans, it's been a giant whiff for other third-party hopefuls. Gary Johnson and Jill Stein haven't cracked the top two in any state this cycle. First question, what is your read on what's going on in Utah? And we should mention with Emerson College polling, we don't typically cite it on the show because it is strictly a landline poll. And it's rated B All by right. 538. Uh, now, in a state that has an aging population, an older population like a Utah, maybe it might be more accurate, or in an Iowa, it might be more accurate than, say, a state like California, which has a younger, more urban um, you know, population, which may not even have landlines. Okay, so that's, but, but we should also note, there hasn't been a poll of Utah since September, I believe, that if it included McMullen, did not have him at least registering in double digits. So that Emerson College poll is hardly an outlier. So what do you think is happening there, Todd? Is it just really a bunch of people following their own conscience? Is it uh, really a tempest in a teapot because Mormon voters have been the staunchest anti-Trump vote from the very beginning. That's how Ted Cruz won almost 70% of the vote there in the Utah primary. Do you think this is the start of a new third-party movement? What's happening there? It's definitely not a third-party movement. And is is McMullen... Is he Mormon? Yes. He is. That's he what is. I mean. yeah. yeah, this is the former. Uh, this is about, And I lived in Utah in the late 90s for three years. This is people Mormons do, doing uh, what they do. Uh, and, and they showed up, uh, and they showed up valiantly in this election, one of the few groups uh, to do so. This is also a, a, a favorite son of sorts. And when you are a a uh, religious minority, yeah, you, you, you tend to uh, look out for your own. So it's a very, very good story it is a, a light in the darkness but i don't think this takes goes, so you think it's it's a perfect storm it's an outlier you don't view it as, yes, a, as a camel's nose under the tent absolutely not right, and what, i wish it was what do you think kim well you know the only part about the camel's nose idea is that it could it could help um you know the voters recognize that 
you know, we don't have to stay in that binary system, the false system. So it could help in that way. But I, I agree with you as far as um, Evan McMullen. I think it's just the perfect storm. It's just, you know, Utah has the favored son. Um, I personally would never vote for Evan McMullen. But, you know, I like more people looking at third party. I think I don't... That's a, that's a te- that's a topic for another day on the whole Evan McMullen whether you'd vote for him or not I guess but the thing that I I, I find encouraging this was it, one of arguably one of the most Republican states in the union it's also the last remaining state in the union where the general population goes to church weekly as a majority it's like fifty one percent of Utahns go to church weekly it's the last remaining state there's some others that are close Missouri's close but Utah is the last remaining state where a majority area of the general population goes to church every week. So what we are witnessing here is, and this is where I do think there's hope for the future, even if McMullen's not necessarily going to be the person to right. rally such a mm-hmm. thing around in the, in the future. What we're witnessing here is in one of the most staunchly Republican states, but in also a state where it's the last remaining one where the gen, gen pop goes to church weekly. We are watching a movement of people that have decided they're going to put their religious convictions and identity ahead of party loyalty when they are when they are when they are presented with no other reason to vote for this person other than he's not the other person. And and I'm and and that's where I think uh, there is some potential hope for this going forward, no matter how it turns out. Yeah, I think that's a good read, uh, Steve. I, I do think um, I, I agree with uh, Todd. It is a perfect storm, but make mo- no mistake, if he wins Utah, and especially if he wins Utah and Idaho, people are going to be talking about this. I mean, people are going to be talking, wow, this is, this person won uh, you know, a state, uh, a third-party candidate won a state. People will bring it up next time around and say, hey, you don't have to stick to the binary options. Look what happened last time to this guy who got in late. You don't have to fall for the whole uh, flawed binary choice. So I think it is, I think it is encouraging for the future in that uh, this will be an example that y- you, don't have to, you don't have to vote Republican or Democrat all the time. Well, that's a good segue to the exit question. We'll go to it a little bit early, give everybody a chance to sort of think about it. Exit question, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being insignificant in the long run and 10 being the next conservative superstar, how big of a political brand will Evan McMullen be going forward if he cracks the code and becomes the first third-party candidate in almost 50 years to win an electoral college vote? Todd. I think he'll be a 2 uh, based on his, both his resume and what we've heard from him, uh, th- there's nothing in the way of articulating ideas that are both uh, traditional and constitutional, uh, yet resonating in a, a, a new way for the broken world we live in. I, d- I just don't see anything close to a paradigm-shifting uh, entity from Evan McMullen. And that's not even ripping on him, because that's, it's going to be like th- camel through an eye of the needle, but I don't see it from him. So that's interesting. So you think that the people are not ready for his message, even if you thought he was a good messenger? Well, there's that, too. But I just Mm -hmm. don't. Yeah, he's not. There's nothing he's said that is going to be tickling people's ears, good, bad or otherwise. I thought it was pretty vanilla. Right. I think he, you know, um, he's well spoken. But my answer is two as well as yours. Um, uh, I think that uh, it's a rare man not to be co-opted. And the fact that the first thing he says about himself on his website is a CIA operative no no and no so you think if you work for the cia you're disqualified from everything almost. president <laughs> <laughs> almost all right well that's that'll be an interesting topic we'll have at some point in the future all right go ahead aaron um i i think it, it depends on what he wants 
if he wins a state, he could be. Uh, if he gets more <laughs> bold with his messaging, he could be um, as much as a, as a nine or ten. But he just needs to be more bold. So right now, I'm putting it at a four. This is where me and the libertarian thing we part ways. Well, plus also he was the GOP House um, I, I, policy director. Now, to me, I'm more concerned about working See? for John Boehner than the CIA. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's okay. both. I mean, I mean, I, add I, those two things together, and no way he's a globalist. Well, Stevie might be trying to create skullduggery in other nations. Well, I don't. So well, you're telling me that he's qualified for the job as long as he's um, not a globalist. <laughs> Cuck yes, uh, the answer is I think you guys are all wrong. If he cracks the code, it's at least a seven. He's at least, at least going to be a U.S. senator or governor of that state. At least, at least, because the new plumb line going forward in this movement is going to be Trump. Where you're at on Trump, not where you're at on any of these issues. Trump will be the only issue. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back one final time. We apologize for that commercial break. Kim and I were going over our favorite Kennedy assassination uh, conspiracy theories and which CIA operatives we thought were responsible for smuggling uh, Ted Cruz's dad and the rest of the Cuban insurgent who really killed Kennedy on the grassy knoll. Wait a minute. Did you just put me in that? Did I? That's not right. No, it's not. So let's move on to predictions, right? Let's get to the end of the week. We've gone through the week. We've looked it back. Now let's look ahead. Kim, predictions. Oh, you're gosh. up first. Oh, no. Don't. Do I have you rattled, Todd? Yes, Go you ahead. Do. I'll give. That's my fault. I put the lady on rude. the spot. That was that was rude. That's my bad. Go ahead, Todd. I need to reset a prediction I made in the past based on what we learned from uh, John Podesta's WikiLeaks uh, emails that uh, within, within the next uh, couple of years here, during the term of Hillary Clinton, both within Catholic churches and large evangelical churches, there are going to be protests during uh, Holy Mass, during services. Uh, that is going to be one of the next phases. The level of contempt for the church is ready to explode. Sure. I mean, the mob outside of Lot's house is is, is, is poised to, to break through the fourth wall. That's really what you're saying, right? Yes. I completely agree with that. Aaron, your prediction? Uh, I believe that Paul Ryan will meet the same fate as John Boehner in a few years. I think it could be as soon as in uh, two or three years. Uh, he will grow weary of being in the middle of all the crossfire amongst the, the Democrats and the Republicans. He will drop out and become a lobbyist for CrossFit. There is no CrossFit lobby yet, <laughs> but there will be once he drops out of office. He really needs Republicans to lose control or he, to keep control of the Senate. He does. His life will be a living hell come January if he has to represent the last line of defense against Hillary. How wonderful is that? Um, your prediction, Kim? Yes, um, because it's within the margin of error. I'm going to say that Trump is going to lose Iowa. I think, wow. well, even when he was doing better in the polls, I've told you guys all along, any state where he's not up by at least two points, he's going to lose. You have the organizational disadvantage and right. you have the cheating factor. And what I mean by cheating factor is this is where the Democrats just go get some federal judge in Philadelphia at 9 o'clock and we keep the polls open until 2 a.m. until we get Again, the votes. Again, WikiLeaks confirming what you're yes. saying. Yeah, I mean, that's just, just that's, and I'm just, I'm not, that's just the game. You, yes. It's like I've described it before. You knew when you played Bob Knight on the road in Indiana, the refs were not giving you any calls. So you just assume it yeah. when you go in to play the game that that's just the ground rules. It is what it and is. And it's the game in their words. You're just repeating yes. it. All right, here's my prediction, and I want to be wrong about this. But along the same lines of what Kim was just describing, I think Trump is going to cost Marco Rubio a Senate seat. I hope I'm wrong because, and admittedly, it's thin gruel when you look at the, the candidates that are running and their overall liberty scores. He is by far the best U.S. Senate candidate 
seat or best U.S. best U.S. Senate candidate with a seat we're trying to hold on to that is running in this election. And it's not even close. I mean, his his liberty score is at least 10 to 15 points higher than anybody else's. But I, when, when you're telling me when the, that the party's own polling has him in the margin for error and you're looking at those voter numbers, those early voting numbers, I know the Democrats have a terrible candidate. But how many of those early voters, how many of those new voters, when it's 503,000 to 60,000, how many of those people just turn in absentee ballots with just straight ticket Democrat votes? And so I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong. But that is my prediction. We'll come back with hour three next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address, last name spelled D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. We will get... We will get to some of your feedback a little bit later on in the program tonight. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the steve day show it is that time of night when our producer aaron takes the reins, sets the agenda for at least the next 10 or 15 minutes gets to ask us any three things about any three things he can ask us about anything he wants all he has to do is answer the same questions himself aaron thank you steve uh, question one what's one modern writer or thought leader who's had the biggest impact on the way you think today. And I'm defining modern as having been alive in the last 100 years. Wow. Um, I would say it's a tie. Um, Off the top of my head, I would say it's a tie between um, Clyde Staples Lewis and... Uh, Chuck Colson, um, particularly because Colson's book, How Now Shall We Then Live, which was a contemporary um, updating of Francis Schaeffer's classic from back in the day, How Now Shall We Live, uh, was something that was vitally important in helping me to understand um, what a fully integrated worldview is. How to, And what do I mean by integrated? Meaning how do I take what I believe and integrate it into how I live? And impact the world around me with it. It's a fantastic book. Um, I'm trying to remember who the gal was he wrote it with. Is it Nancy Piercy's her name? And I think Nancy is still alive. Mm-hmm. I, I, Chuck yep. passed away a couple of years ago. But 
Uh, it's it's fantastic. It's on my list of books. I think every person should have to read before they acquire a voter registration card. Uh, so I, I would say those two. And, and Lewis, because um, the ability to use snark, critical thinking, and creative wit in order to... Um, to 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 bring a biblical worldview into the mainstream of the culture of his era, which is really my number one career goal is is I want to use whatever talent and platform God has given me to play some role in making or some role in making a biblical worldview mainstream in America again. So uh, I would probably see those two individuals, Kim. Um, I would say if I'm going to go with two, like and I guess and, and, and since it's the last hundred years, obviously we're not talking about you know like. I mean, if it was ever, I'd, I'd say Christ. I'd say Paul, who wrote Romans, but it's in the last hundred years, so it's going to be more contemporary. So, oh, you just took it away from me. No, I'm just no, kidding. You don't get to Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Again. Yeah, not this one. J. R. R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, Gollum, the Precious. Um, that's had a lasting effect on our whole family. Um, and the other one, more contemporary, is Ravi Zacharias. I think he does that's, amazing yeah. work. The reason I paused is because I considered putting him yeah. in there as in there as well. Absolutely, yeah. For me, it's uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, and, and not just because I'm Catholic and he was the Pope. He, he was the Pope for my entire childhood and for the, at least half my adult life. He's the third longest-serving uh, Pope in the history of Christendom. Uh, and his example, he he was, uh, he had the, all of the skills of Pope Francis. He was fantastic uh, with the public and with the press, uh, he, w- when he was younger and vibrant, people forget about. He was out there uh, skiing a- a- as pope, uh, but oh, was he orthodox? Uh, there's just a fantastic scene. You can still find it on YouTube where he goes down to uh, El Salvador, I believe, or Honduras, and all of their liberation theology and the and the priests getting involved in very liberal politics down there. And he gets off the the airplane on the tarmac down there and they're all waiting and he gets to the priest in question and just starts scolding him and finger wagging him right there on the tarmac this is also the guy you forget with ronald along with ronald reagan and and, uh, margaret thatcher the third leg of the stool that brought down communism i mean he was just totally uh unafraid he would walk right into the devil's den and say bring it and he did it with heaping piles of love. So uh, I didn't know it for many of uh, my childhood years uh, and for part of my adult life, but the impact he has had on me is just immeasurable. I'm going with uh, C.S. Lewis as well um, for, for all the reasons you mentioned, Steve, but uh, particularly the ability to tell a, f- a fascinating story and be able to tell it in a way that the overarching meaning the overarching feeling of what he's uh, communicating is very clear, but it's told in such a way that it's not on the nose and corny and obvious. I think that's evident in all of the stories that he was uh, he was able to weave throughout his career. Question two, what's the second best day of your life? Because I know all of you are married. You're going to say, if I ask you the first best, it's going to be, hey, I got married. So second best day of your life. Um, day I became a dad for the first time. Third, no, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a dad three, but the, the day I became a dad for the first time. Uh, Kim? You know, you can't beat that. I mean, it's when your heart is ripped out of you and then placed in your arms. Yeah. Like being a mom, it's the best thing God's ever allowed me to do. Uh, well, I 
I've got to go with the same story. And it's it's not uh, trite. It it's it's it is what it is. That experience and my four kids were were born at home. The fourth one in particular uh, didn't. Uh, after being born, a bill cord wrapped around its neck. That midwife just did incredible work. But for like. In my head, it seemed like a minute. It might have been less time, but uh, it wasn't breathing right away. So they needed to give her a burst of oxygen. And my wife was exhausted. But to hear her little lungs roar to life, um, that's the sound of God saying, let there be light and all of creation coming into existence. And now I have my little Elise. Um, There's nothing better than uh, those four littlers and girls. And guys, I need to get married and have kids. Um, you asked the question, man. I know. It's going to be, you know, uh, Hawks went 12-0. and 0. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. You know you had I that was... teed up. That's why he's so discouraged. <laughs> Last That's year was the going. greatest year of my life. <laughs> oh, man. This one's hard. Now it is. Um, good grief. Cause, Don't um, talk about the PlayStation. You've been Jesus juked into irrelevance right there. There's just, there's no. Oh Lord, have mercy. Um, probably, probably the uh, the second best day of my life uh, was moving into my first apartment because then I was I was completely on my own. I had bills to pay, uh, and I I mean that's stepping out finally completely into adulthood. That's uh, probably the second best day of my life. Hmm. Um, question if, three. If paying bills is like a really great day in your life, you can have some of mine. <laughs> no, it's yeah, just... Yeah, we're going to make bill paying great <laughs> again. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, it's, no, it's, it's amazing how fast you grow up when you have uh, stuff you have to pay for and uh, um, you, have to, you have to force yourself to work every day. Uh, question three. What is one animal you'd like to see in person? Before you die, because <sighs> um, you know I've gone to so many zoos growing up, and with our kids now, you know, so like lions and sharks are two of my favorites. Uh, we've seen plenty of those. Um, Kim, I'm going to go with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I like to see one of those in person before I die. I'm going to go with that. Oh, that is so nice. You like that? I do like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Might be the last thing I see before I die, but that'd be cool to see one of those. Wow. They're not nearly as... Like, that. those don't... You go to the movies and watch that, right? Yeah. Th- I mean, Jurassic Park. The Vasilloraptors, those creep me oh, out. Oh, those are scary. They're about the same size as you, you, as you but the way that they move, that's oh, far yeah. creepier to me than the giant monstrosity, right? So, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd say a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Boy, go ahead. Do you have, do you have so, one, Todd? Well, I've... Yeah, I've seen everything in the zoo. So what? Out in the wild or what? He said, he said in person. You. That's up to you. In per- yeah, in person. Some just something in person. Now, if you're in person, it's what a- you know I'm in person right here, but you you're behind the glass, so that could be in a zoo as well. I had a silverback gorilla in uh, Omaha once uh, attack the, me. To, you know, hit the, the glass. glass. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome. Just did all of its weight up against the glass, just rattled. It was. It, it broke was the glass this time. This last. This last uh, oh, really? summer. Yeah. Come on, Kim. Pick an animal. Okay. Um. No. I. Pick something. There's a million of them. Cockroach. Deer Kim. mouse. I give up. I know. Uh, a, I deer, a deer mouse. A deer mouse. It's uh, cute. Bengal. Right? I'm tiger. stretching. I don't know. A deer mouse. Hey, that's kind of a chick thing to say. You're listening to Steve Dace.
where nine black-robed masters don't get to become their own self-appointed constitutional convention. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go over the news we didn't have time to go over earlier in the show. Based on what is the buzz on your social media at your water cooler at work, as reported to us via the headlines from our producer, Aaron, we react with the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Story number one, Peter Thiel may be attracted to men, but the prominent LGBT magazine says he's... Quote, not a gay man, end quote, because he supports Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump. In a rambling article for The Advocate, Connecticut College history professor Jim Downs posits that there is more to being gay than just having sex with someone of the same gender. Mr. Down argues the Silicon Valley billionaire reaffirmed his personal, quote-unquote, sexual choices by supporting Mr. Trump, but separated himself from the broader gay identity rooted in class struggle against oppression. He says, quote, By the logic of gay liberation, Thiel is an example of a man who has sex with other men, but not a gay man, end quote. He goes on to say, because he does not embrace the struggle of people to embrace their distinctive identity? I don't think I could, even though I'm paid to communicate for a living, paint a picture for you to tell you how little I care about this. I, I just... I, I, what you just said was one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling did you come close to anything that would, that would, that would be categorized as a serious thought. All of us are dumber for having heard it. And may God have mercy on their souls. It needs to be said, along with that, that this is Exhibit A, in the fact that not even the rainbow jihad believes they are born that way. They just told you they don't believe it. You have to be this composite sketch of beliefs. You aren't born with beliefs, short of that which God innately gives you. You need to be a cog in their machine, gay or not gay. So enough with the scam. They're telling you right now. Keep Hold them to their word. It's amazing. The anti-liberty groupthink that was in that professor's mind and going forward, it's, it's stunning. I can't imagine anyone buying into that. Uh, agreed. And as a side note, Steve, um, I want to promise you that at some point while I work for you, I'm going to install a button right by your computer where you can hit that button and automatically that drop from the movie Billy Madison will play. I think so I got about 90% of it you from memory. Did you did very well. Yeah, you did. That was, yeah. that was very impressive. Thank but you. Uh, that just needs, that needs to happen. A student uh, is suing Iowa State University after the school said his graduation may be placed on hold if he refuses to 
to surrender his First Amendment rights. Student Robert Dunn declined to certify that he would abide by a university policy saying, quote, engaging in First Amendment protected speech activities may constitute harassment. Even if the speech is protected by the First Amendment, the university policy says students may be punished, quote, depending on the circumstances, end quote, including whether other students believe the speech is not legitimate, necessary, or constructive. Officials at the public university said any student who fails to certify compliance with the policy runs the risk of having his diploma withheld. Um, You don't have a right to say whatever you want in a public setting. Uh, You have a right to not have government infringe on your right to say whatever you want in a public setting. For example, I just can't go on here and start dropping F-bombs, okay? Um, Different businesses have different, and settings have different decor, I'm sorry, decorum, have different terms of service, right? So, you know, when, when, when... when somebody gets fired from a job, even if, even if they got screwed like Kurt Schilling got from ESPN, he, his First Amendment rights weren't violated. ESPN isn't the government. They can fire whoever they want for whatever they want, as far as I'm concerned, anytime they want. But, 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 the re, but those repercussions work the other way as well. So, I mean, if this university wants to act like complete and total uh, mini-fascists, okay. But um, there's also an accountability mechanism, as, 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 like where does their funding come from? So if elected officials decided they were actually going to grow a set and said, you know what, we're not going to, you know what, you guys want to act like a bunch of mini fascists, by golly, it's a free country, go for it. You know what, but you know what, y'all, just like you don't have a right to say whatever you want on a college campus, you know what you also don't have the right to? Taxpayers' money. You don't have a right to it. So, I mean, I guess we're going to, you'll be getting less funding next year, so you go out there and find a bunch of private entities that can, that agree with your little mini fascism and, and have them write the checks for you. That's the solution to this. We just don't have the, again, because we are not a nation of laws, Todd, but a nation of political will. We just don't have the people with the political will on our side to act accordingly. Well, yeah, and this guy who has no power other than the example of his courage is nonetheless willing to stand and fight where any number of people in well-placed positions of power could be stopping this. But they are more afraid of that, like you've talked about with rights previous, you know, sitting there, what is somebody saying on Twitter or what if they tell me a bad word? And, you know, if I if I do this, they're going to call me, you know, a racist or something like that. Uh, th- th- this this kid, I don't know how old he is, I, if the story said so, but he, he's got more courage than most people out there. It's just like, you know, he's to, he's willing to stand there in the arena with the lions around him and look at them and say, this is all a fraud. God bless them. This makes perfect sense, knowing what I know about Iowa State University and how small their free speech zones are. I mean, there's a little spot in front of the Memorial Union, and there's another spot somewhere else. But you actually have to apply to make sure that you can actually do some free speech there. And then the whole idea that it's going to be this nebulous, if somebody is offended, basically, about what you said, even if it's legitimate, um, I'm grateful that this kid is um, suing Iowa State University, which in effect is suing the state of Iowa. Well, that's but the, this that's what this kid is basically saying. He said, "I'm offended by your policy." Right? Why? Full stop. So stop doing it. Uh, next story, final story. Um, get ready for a metaphorical version of this story for the next four to eight years or longer. Authorities are investigating whether a Democratic Party campaign bus illegally dumped raw sewage in Gwinnett County, Georgia, Tuesday morning. Metaphor alert. According to the police report, 
Authorities were called to an O'Reilly Auto Parts after reports that an RV was dumping its sewage into a storm drain. A store, a store employee told police that he watched an RV affiliated with the Democratic National Committee stop in the turn lane of the highway and saw someone get out of the RV and open the sewage drain. This is the Sistine Chapel of metaphor alert, Steve. Yes, which means this might be the most true story we have discussed this year. <laughs> we'll come back with your feedback in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Making all the right enemies, Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to some of the feedback that you have sent to us here. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Stephen Patton says, I'm a Catholic who wants in on Todd's. The excommunications will continue until morale improves T-shirts, and I will be wearing them to mass. You guys are great. Love your show. Keep up the great work. I'm telling you, dude, you're on to something. You are on to something. What was that person that tweeted uh, last Friday, Todd? Uh, it was a little bit different spin on this. The excommunications will continue until morality improves. I like that one. It, well, okay. Let's, uh, That's let, a good one, Let too. me ponder how to push this forward. But I, I hadn't even contemplated wearing it to mass. Uh, well done. Good and faithful servant. Brandon Vanderfort says, thanks for your radio show. Politician after politician has disappointed me during this election cycle. Yet I have not once been disappointed by tuning into your show. It's nice to know that conservatives um, like my family are not alone. Keep it up. More reaction on Ted Cruz and what's happened to him. Philip says, if Cruz had kept the Never Trump stance up until the election, Trump and most of his supporters would spend the next year at least, and much of the period built up to the next election, blaming Cruz and all of us who choose no evil as the reason for the loss. I don't know if Ted had that in mind, but I think in the long run it helps our future chances by not forcing us to take the biggest brunt of the blame. I also wanted to see that there are still a lot of us who are who supported him before that still support Ted Cruz. I was disappointed to hear him endorse Trump, but I'm not going to turn a blind eye to his track record and everything he has tried to stand up for over his career and is still doing. His decision to support Trump only proves that Jesus is the only flawless human. It's interesting to see how quickly some people can turn on a person based on their own agendas and expectations. Uh, Stephen in PA says the system is corrupt and institutionalized, but blaming that for Cruz's choice to endorse Trump is akin to blaming the other woman if I stray from my wife after 20 years of marriage. Cruz also not only utilized the binary choice argument in backing Trump, but tacitly, though unspoken, endorsed the binary two-party system by playing ball with his despised cartel. He may have salvaged some financing for his 18, 2018 campaign, but so damaged his credibility that he has crippled his 20, uh, 2020 presidential chances. This was not difficult. Stay, stay true to all you believed in and fought for. If necessary, die on your shield. Leonidas did not cut a deal with Xerxes to spare him and his men to fight another day at Thermopylae. The battle is now, and he passed on it. It's as if Henry V roused his troops for battle at Agincourt and then walked off of the field. 
with some impressive cultural yes. references, Seriously. by the way. Dude. Uh, Daniel, That's awesome, Stephen. Daniel writes, so I just wanted to express that I'm disappointed in Cruz's endorsement and agree with your assessment. It was a bad political move. However, I also agree that uh, we should not allow this poor decision on his part to negate all the good he has done up until this point. So... Uh, those are the the summaries of the some of the the best worded summaries of the three views I have received on this topic. I still get tons of feedback on it. Anybody want to comment on those views? I think on the last one, uh, there's something I would like to say. Yeah, um, that's that's where I'm at right now. I, it doesn't make any of the the great things he's uh, done for conservatism less great. This move, uh, but as we've seen with Dr. Ben Carson, we were saying this back. Um, uh, months ago, uh, the people he saved aren't any less saved, and that's still true. But if you continue to go down the road that uh, Ted Cruz turned on, then you will eventually become a joke. Uh, I want to go to the first letter. When I believe it was a she talks about, well, maybe we won't take the blame. First of all, yeah, you will. Secondly, it's okay to take the blame in this culture. In fact, that's right where you want to be. The Lord said, if they did this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? We know they're going to blame us no matter what you choose. Stop trying to triangulate this nonsense and figure it out. They're coming for you. Be the one in the arena who says, yeah, I'm happy to stand athwart all this garbage. I'm going to call it garbage. I, you're, I know you're lying to me. I know why you're lying to me. You can't work your scams over on me. You know, point out the emperor has no clothes. Be proud to be that person. You're going to take the blame one way or the other. And of those, I align mostly with Stephen, obviously. I do believe that Cruz tacitly endorsed a two-party system, and he damaged his credibility. Um, but moving forward, you know, let's see what Cruz does, actually, in the Senate, because he can rehabilitate. He can take the lead on several issues. Um, we'll see what he does with that. Well, and that really, really the voters are going to decide these questions. You know, when, when, I think it was a bad political move. My analysis has been, I think it was, and I think everything that's transpired since that, since that Friday four weeks ago has only reinforced that. But do you know why I think it was a bad political move? Because I'm giving my analysis based on my knowledge of who his base is. But his base will decide. They may just, they, a year from now, this may be nothing but a, a, a murmur. It may not matter. Um, but... Uh, so to me, the issue with this is not morally as much as it is politically. I think it's it, politically it's a bad look, and we'll let the you know the audience out there around the country will determine whether this was a blip or a mortal wound. They'll make that call. You're listening to Steve Dace. promise you'd like him he just promised to tell you the truth this is steve dace all right back here on the steve dace show let's get to more of your feedback that you've sent to us via the stevedace.com inbox steve at stevedace.com is the email address like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show Steve, maybe I'm too sensitive because I'm in the Constitution Party, but is there something about us that drives people away? Because when I hear folks like you say we need a new party, I wonder why you don't just come here. That is from Andy. Um, here's the thing, and I don't know. I don't really ever hear too many people talk about it, uh, actually. I know some people within the Constitution Party. Uh, I, one of the concerns I've heard is um, they have a 20, going on a 25-year head start as a third-party movement. 
I think Howard Phillips had him organized for the first time. It was in 1992? Is that what Daryl Castle told us earlier I this week on the, the show? Number. Yeah, I think All that right. was the year. So here we are. We're 25 years into this, and they're on the ballot. Basically, their ballot access is pretty much what Evett McMullen was able to get. It's a little bit better, um, but I mean, they're on the ballot in only was it 26 states? He said. Yeah, so far I can. Look which that up which for was you. fewer than they were on in 2012. And in 2012, it was an all-out war to get the Constitution Party on the ballot because the nominee was a guy named Virgil Good, who's a former Republican congressman from Virginia. And everybody knew that the, that Romney-Obama race was going to be razor thin. And there was paranoia that Virgil Good, because of his base of support in Virginia, where he was a congressman for like 10 years, that he might get 2 or 3 or 4% of the vote in Virginia, and, and that might be the swing vote in the election. So they had to fight, scratch, and claw to get ballot access four years ago. And they're on, and they're on, and so, and the party's on in fewer fewer states than it was in then. So I think I think that is that is a concern, especially because when I asked Daryl Castle about that on the program, what did he say the big issue was? Funding. So I think it, 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 it is a major undertaking to get on the ballot, major undertaking. Um, which is why if you are a third party person, if if you if if you've decided you're not going to vote for either of the two major party candidates, you're largely making a symbolic vote at that point. And I don't say that it's a judgment, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a realization. Then, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends that are making symbolic votes to vote for Gary Johnson or Daryl Castle around the country simply because they want to play a part in helping a third party get above the threshold in this election to be automatically on the ballot in their state in the next one. I get that. In fact, a really good conservative friend of mine, I won't give you his name, but, but really one of the best conservatives I know, lives in Texas. He's voting for Jill Stein, and he's trying to get as many of his friends to vote for Jill Stein as possible for the same reason, but in reverse, that that he wants the Green Party on the ballot in Texas because that'll make the Democrats' task of trying to turn Texas blue even harder because now that even if there's a competitor that's only going to take two or three, four, five percent of the vote away statewide, that's a lot of people in a state the size of Texas. So, so he's he he's like you know I don't even he, he my, this buddy of mine I'm not even wrestling with whether to vote for Trump or not because he's going to win my state no matter what he does. Now that was that, that was his position when I talked to him about a month ago. Now we got polling that shows Trump's leading the state by two, three, or four points. Maybe he's maybe he's thinking differently. But when it was clear Trump was going to win no matter what. He was like, I'm not even going to get into this debate. I think the guy's a knuckle-dragger, but I don't have to worry about it. Hillary can't win my state. So I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get as many people as I can to vote for Jill Stein to get the Green Party on the ballot <laughs> in Texas, which I actually thought was, was kind of clever. So I, I don't know. I mean, do you guys have any animosity or hear anything of, of, about the Constitution Party that would make people think, why not just go in there and, and take it over instead as a, instead of starting a whole new third party? I don't know. What do you guys uh, hear? I don't really understand the general paradigm. It's It's like a... It's the rare minor league player that can come out of high school and go right to the show. Uh, why isn't the Constitution part? And if I'm missing something, please correct me. But why aren't they winning uh, governorships? Why aren't they winning major fighting for one particular issue and getting fundraising going and attention going in that manner? You know, similar. Scott Walker became Scott Walker because he fought and won a one major issue at the state level. Now, it, that didn't translate, but uh, that's why he at least had a shot at it. What, why isn't the Constitution Party, I think maybe the Green Party does a little more at the state level, but I, as far as I know, the Constitution Party really doesn't have a state-to-state-to-state presence. Am I wrong? No, they do not. No, yeah, no, no they do not. So I'm not trying to 
Um, I, I don't know enough, Andy, to answer your question. I'm, so I don't mean this to be snotty, but I might turn it back on. I think this is a question you guys ought to ask yourselves. I mean, if you've been around for 25 years. It's a you problem. Yeah, well, and, and I don't want to put it that way because well, no, these are honest I, patriots. But it's a little bit like, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware of who you guys are. I have some really good friends involved in it. Like I'm aware of who the Iowa Hawkeyes are. And I have some really good friends who are Hawkeye fans, but I'm not intimately involved. Okay, so calling me up and asking me, hey, how do we beat Wisconsin this week? And I got some general ideas, you know, but I don't know the too deep probably like you know it. You know what I'm trying to say? So, I mean, if you guys have been around for 25 years and, and you, you haven't been able to crack the ballot access battle or, or make a meaningful dent, you know, I'll give you one thing that, that boggled my mind I did not understand. And we talked about this at the time, gentlemen, you'll remember. Even though they made horrific choices, the, the Libertarian Party had a moment Earlier this spring, when they waited later to make who their nominee, and there was how much interest was there in their convention? A lot. How many people yes. emailed me and said, hey, get these guys on if you can? And, and I remember who the other guy was that people were looking at now. Austin. McAfee. Yeah, Austin Peterson, right? Oh, Peterson. Yeah, who McAfee. kind of bombed on the show. Mm-hmm. But the reason we did that is because there was so much interest in people looking for an option. And, of course, they walk out of their convention with two rhino big government governors, basically. Uh, but um, I don't know why the Constitution Party... Didn't see this is where you guys have to have some foresight. You should have the you should have seen you should have seen last fall that there was a possibility Donald Trump could be the nominee and the problems that was gonna that was gonna that was gonna create because we were all talking about it. You should have said whatever our primary schedule is or our, our, our convention schedule for our nominee, we're putting it off until June, and we're gonna let this process play itself out. To try and generate some of that interest. To, because when you go to people with, here's our third party candidate, and they don't feel like they had a say in who that candidate is at all. Even if, even if, even if you thought Gary Johnson was the wrong choice, the fact that the Libertarian Party's convention happened later makes people think like they had a say in the process. But when you come at them with somebody they don't know, they've never heard of, and they don't think they've had any say whatsoever in, in who your nominee is... Now, now it's already a foreign environment, and now they don't feel like it's, it, they, they, they have any ownership of it at the same time. Does that make some sense? It does. They should have seen this coming and put this off and said, this is, this is a business opportunity. You know, and strike while the iron is hot. We may never get another moment like this. And I think, and we talked about that at the time. We thought that was a, calcu- a miscalculation. Understood, and I I agree with that uh, take. This was, as I said uh, during the day's group, if this was a miss for Republicans, it was a whiff for third-party options. I mean, given what Evan McMullen has pulled off as a nobody who's got four grand cash on hand, what could a real third-party candidate have done? You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show oh now we're kicking it old school feel like i'm back at wonders hall at michigan state university you're welcome where your freshman orientation packet in the fall of 1992 at every college in America uh, included a copy of Pearl Jam's 10 and Nirvana's Nevermind. So you would literally walk through campus in East Lansing and everybody would have their windows open playing music. And you could hear 
alive or Jeremy in stereo just moving from dorm to dorm, and you could sing along because they were all playing the same songs, right? Those were the days. All right, so folks, what did we learn here tonight? Kim, what did you learn? Um, that there are still people willing, and I know you guys do it day in and day out, and I'm very grateful for that, to call out the religious right when they are um, worshiping the Republican Party and his can- and the candidate. And um, I'm specifically thinking about, in this case, Nancy French and um, the brave piece that she put out. Was that yesterday that she put it out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, today. Today. It's okay. in today's Washington Post. We were talking earlier about what do you do on November 9th? How do you even approach change if people just don't want to be moved? We've talked a lot about tyranny, and and there are clearly tyrannical uh, tendencies at foot right now. But the opposite pole politically of tyranny is is anarchy. And it's it's if you if I stop and think about it, 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 we may be closer to that pole than tyranny. Yeah, freedom is not the antithesis of, an, of, of tyranny. Anarchy is. Freedom is the antidote for both. Right. And, and if, if the public, if the sloth of the public is really what's drawing all this, then that, the, the, whatever tyranny exists, it's, it's not, it's not a f- feisty fighting people that are just being thwarted by uh, a military or by raw power. It's just they know they can get away with lying. That's more, that's more anarchy than tyranny. Talking about some of the new data, uh, data, data, from the, um, about the church and white evangelical voters, uh, the, the culture outside of the church is already so dark, um, it, it can seem like it's just easy to get discouraged, and it is, and many people have become discouraged by what's been going on year after year, and then especially this election. And I know this sounds trite, but Christians should really look at this as an opportunity um, to be to be a light, to be salt as well. I think that's how we have to look at this going forward, because... The imprecatory, uh, imprecatory uh, prayers that some of us would like to pray and maybe are praying, um, those, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, we, we have to take a positive outlook on the future. And I think that starts by seeing the state of our culture and the state of our church as being an opportunity for each one of us to shine brighter. It is Friday night. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough election. It's going to be a tough next few years, but you know what? You still have more freedom than anybody else has. Go home. Enjoy the weekend. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.